This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here with the Anderson Business Advisor Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Josh Robertson, uh, an attorney, and uh, he's going to tell us the five ways he's seen people absolutely screw up their asset protection plans. And we're going to go in, uh, we're going to hear all these wonderful stories from his experiences and 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 from the popular news. So we're going to break them down. So first off, welcome, Josh. Hi. How are you, Toby? All right. I'm alive. I'm kicking. You can't be complaining here. So you're from the beautiful state of Utah. You're sitting up there in Draper, I think. I'm actually, I was was exiled to the desert. Bowman had me in the Draper office, and then he came into the Draper office. He's like, you get out. And so I was exiled to eastern Utah. So I'm over by Arches National Park, but I like it. Oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah. How is it over there? Is it beautiful? It's lovely. It's lovely. I, my house is, sits at just over a mile in elevation, and my family's out here. My wife's from the city, so I had to ask her several times as we were moving. I was like, you're sure you're okay with this? She said, yes, I'm sure. I'm like, okay. Well, you're in a beautiful area if you're by the Arches. That's like. Yep. One of the most famous images, I think, are from that national park, right? Yep. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's it's awesome. It's great. So, all right, well, let's talk about stuff that's not so great. So, let's talk okay. about the ways people mess up their asset protection plans. Like when I say mess up, I mean undo them. They think they have something that's going to protect them, and they manage to screw it up. They they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory using the old. Uh, I think it was my beloved eagles that managed to do that on one occasion and let's just see uh let's just see what these folks did so let's dive in so so i know we're going to go over five i won't list them out yet but i'll let you go through them one by one uh but what was number one what was the first thing you that came to mind when i said hey josh let's do a let's do a podcast on how people mess these things up what was the first one you thought of so the first thing that came to mind is the first thing that i talk to a lot of clients about when they ask me how should i best set this up and I always say, what do you want to do? Because depending on what you want to do, there's going to be a different structure for that. There's going to be a different way to do it. And so the in one word, objectives is the thing that came to my mind. What are your objectives? If you understand your objectives, myself, the other advisors, the other attorneys, we can work with you to put a structure together that will help you meet those objectives. But if you don't know what your objectives are, you're going to blow it. And particularly, so the first story we have comes out of uh, Montana. And what happened was, so there's a family, as there usually is, two families, and they got into a fight over land. And one family sued the other family, and that family counterclaimed against the first family. So we'll, we'll say we have the the Joneses and the Smiths. So so, so the lawyers are involved, and lawsuits are flying. Two families, and, and land is at issue, right? So like they're suing each other for what to take each other's land, or is it quiet title? To take was property. That? Yep. To take property. So they were either- to take something from somebody based mm-hmm. off of a theory of liability. Person who's getting mm-hmm. sued doesn't like it much, so they countersue. But there's probably exposure here. I, I, I sense that there might be a, a, a not so happy ending for the one of the parties. There's not. So what happens is the Jones, the Jones family who initiated the case, they were the plaintiffs in the first case. They lost. Now, how they lost is really immaterial for our purposes today. Let's just say it. W- so what happened was it was a default judgment, meaning that Jones sued Smith. Smith countersued. Jones never showed up. Jones didn't do what they were supposed to do. 
Jones threw a punch and then wasn't was and then wasn't prepared for what came back at him and -hmm. never responded. Exactly. So Jones defaults. Smith goes to collect on the defaulted judgment. Jones panics and Jones has the land at issue in this case. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they hear, oh, I've heard about these wonderful tools called domestic asset protection trusts. Mm. The idea is you transfer property into this domestic asset protection trust. And the way that the trusts are written, there's no liability, meaning outside creditors can't come against the property in the trust and take the property away. So Jones thinks, this is perfect. I'm going to do this. Lots of problems with this. The main one being that there was already a judgment entered for Smith. So Smith was a pre-existing creditor. So it's like a fire alarm. It, don't, mm-hmm. it only does you good if, if, if you have it installed before the fire. And so your asset protection plan has to be installed before there's liability or they'll do something called a fraudulent conveyance and say you're toast. Is that what is that what happened here? That's exactly what happened. We went through all this legal wrangling and the court came back and said, we're clawing the property back. That's what it's called in the law. It's called a clawback. We're clawing the property out of the domestic asset protection trust because it was a fraudulent conveyance and the property goes to Smith and they won the case. And they exactly because of what you said, you didn't have it installed previously. If we change one fact scenario, one fact in this scenario, which is timing, the whole thing resolves differently. But and so why does this tie back to objectives? Their objective was to protect the property. Had they come to us or somebody like us before any liability had attached and said, I heard about this. Is this a good option here? We could have said yes or no, explained why. And then set them up with the best option. And it may have been the Domestic Asset Protection Trust, but the way they did it, uh, they did it perfectly backwards and ruined it. So. Yes. So right answer, but uh, unfortunately too late. So it's mm-hmm. like, hey, I have a car. I should have put oil in it. I know that the oil will keep the engine from seizing up, but I just drove it 100 miles and then I put the oil in it. It's probably too late. The, the engine seized and you're toast. So they just, yeah. uh, the courts do not like it's that. Just- they do not like the transfer of assets after there's, exposure even if you know you're going to be liable it's uh and 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 you do stuff Mm -hmm. you haven't been sued yet it doesn't matter if you know that there's a creditor out there and you try to remove something from them and put yourself in a position was there a bankruptcy involved in this did they make themselves insolvent was there any other assets or was this it i i think there was a bankruptcy and an insolvency issue had they not and and this just exacerbated it like if even without the bankruptcy the way that the court was ruling it, it was going to go the same way, but they they made it worse. Well, it, it, the reason I bring that up is because some some folks think you can't transfer assets when you have creditors, but you can as long as it doesn't make you insolvent. So right. as long as there's enough there for that creditor, you can usually do something. But mm-hmm. I think your point is well taken, sir. So that's number one. Make mm-hmm. sure you have your objectives set up, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and make sure you're timely. That'd probably be a I'll, I'll add that one in there for you is, is yeah. you know, first in time, first in right. You got to make sure that that you've conveyed that thing before there's the liability exposure. So it's the same thing. If you're a mm-hmm. landlord, you want to make sure you have your property isolated before you have tenants or you have exposure because uh, second you do, it's, it's going to be too late. All right. What's number two? Mm-hmm. So number two is anonymity. And anonymity is one that you preach a lot. The, um, Security through obscurity doctrine, which I really like. And so if people don't know what you have, if you're anonymous as an owner, they can't take it away from you. It's very difficult for them to take it away from you. You, and, don't, see, you don't see a lot of homeless people being sued. 
Not a lot. No, it's we very don't think rare. they have anything. So you don't want to look homeless, but you want to look like you don't have anything. That's why they're not getting sued because there's no reason. Pretty, pretty darn close. That's right. So the the best example from from popular culture or pop or the mainstream news in recent memory was the Black Lives Matter executive or or person that worked with that organization, Patrice Cullors. Now, not making a statement on her politics or her ideology, just saying that she bought some properties that got tied back to her and it caused a big stir and a, and a lot of problems for her because there were questions raised about propriety. Did she use money that was supposed to be for Black Lives Matter? Did she use her own money? We couldn't really tell. And it was a whole thing. And it was really avoidable. I mean, all of these tie together, but it ties back to what are your your goals, what are your objectives, what's the time frame that we're looking at, and how is this going to be perceived in the larger public? Because for her, it was perceived very badly, <laughs> and and it it was very easily avoidable. Use a land trust, use a land trust with a trustee LLC, use a land trust with a beneficiary LLC. It was more very than, easy to avoid. It's more than just her. That there's other members of the BLM movement that mm-hmm. I think got themselves in hot water because. People just go out there with their Lexus Nexus, type it in, or do a property search, and they can see all the properties. They're like, "Oh wow, you bought four multi-million dollar properties in the last year. You're mm-hmm. doing well. What are you doing besides mm-hmm. making money from a nonprofit?" <laughs> so they they, right. they start asking questions. Mm-hmm. So if they had just kept it private, nobody would have known. Nobody would have ever mm-hmm. been able to tie it back to them. Maybe maybe they see them okay. driving there and they say, what are you doing at this property? We can't tell who owns it. But that's about as deep as it's going to get. Right. It's it's not it does. She didn't have to draw that attention to herself, nor her nor her colleagues. All of this was completely avoidable. It was a com- it was totally avoidable. And we know it's avoidable because we do it all the time. We set people up with this all the time. How do I keep somebody from knowing that it's my house? Like if I'm sitting here today and I don't want anybody to know where I live or I want to keep my name out of a public record, how do I do it? So a couple of ways. Easiest way that will work in every jurisdiction is using a trust. So what you do, you create a a revocable trust. Uh, We call it the primary residence trust. Previously, you would have heard us call it a land trust. There's some weird legal things that go on there. So we've just changed to calling it a primary residence trust. It's a grantor trust, meaning that when you transfer your property into it, there's no taxable consequences. doesn't change the basis, doesn't do anything. You just transfer your property from your name over to the name of the trust. Mm -hmm. And here's the key. As soon as you transfer the property into the trust, you amend the trust. Now, when you transfer the property from yourself to the trust, you're going to have to name the trustee that is managing the trust for you, the grantor, the person that set up the trust. As soon as you do that, though, you can go amend the trust privately out of the public eye, and you don't have to re-register the deed to the property. Now, why is this important? Because when somebody calls you up as the trustee of this trust or whomever, maybe it's Clint, maybe it's another attorney, they'll say, you're the trustee of this trust and I need to sue the person or I need to know the information. You say, no, I'm not. And it's true. You're not. Could I just use a anonymous ownership entity like an LLC or something like that too? You could. The trouble with that is in many states, you're going to sacrifice tax benefits tied to you owning that home in your own name that you get from the state for having a a primary personal residence. One example is how those are taxed. Most states have a homestead tax exemption. There's a different homestead exemption that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But specifically here, there's a homestead tax exemption where only a certain percentage of the home's overall fair market value will be taxed. 
Whereas for commercial properties or properties that aren't used as primary residences, but are used as in, for investment purposes and as investment vehicles, they're taxed higher. And so that is a big benefit that you could lose by putting your home into an LLC for anonymity purposes. Yeah, it would absolutely work at the sacrifice of something that can probably be more beneficial for you. So could you do it? Yeah. Would we have you do it? No. Fair enough. All right. How about uh, the next one? What do we have as number three? What's another big, big area mm -hmm. that you see people messing up that just blows up plants? So this one is huge and it hits home for me for two reasons. Uh, this is compliance and compliance specifically with in regards to cash flow, but compliance generally more broadly. So when you set up an entity, you got to make sure you comply with two things. First thing, comply with the regulations for the state where you created the entity. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to file reg regularly. You're going to have to make sure you have a registered agent. You're going to have to make sure that you have a bank account. Excuse me. All of these things are important. The second thing that you're going to want to comply with are the internal documents that you have and that you have filed. With an LLC, we're talking about an operating agreement. With mm -hmm. a limited partnership, we're talking about a limited partnership agreement. With a corporation, we're talking about bylaws. You have to comply with your internal documents and with the state. So here's why this hits home for me. There's a case out of Utah that just came out recently uh, about Grandma Sycamore's bread. Now, Toby, I know you live in Las Vegas. I don't know if you've ever had Grandma Sycamore's bread. It's the only bread my family eats. It's delicious. Grandma Sycamore's bread. Grandma Sycamore's bread. Send you a link. It's fantastic. Grandma Sycamore's bread. Guy named Leland Sycamore here in uh, Utah, over in Utah County, started baking bread. Was really good. People really liked it. Started marketing it. Did so well locally that Bimbo Bakeries, one of the larger bakery manufacturers and distributors for baked goods in America, he got their attention. They bought his brand. They bought his brand. They brought his distribution. They bought everything. For a lot of dough, no pun. For a lot of dough. So much dough. And part of the deal was, Leland, you don't get to bake bread anymore, at least commercially, for 10 years. Yep. A non-compete. Hey, I'm going to buy you out, but I don't mm -hmm. want you popping up and competing with me. So you can do whatever you want. You can go be a, you could go get a McDonald's. You could go mm -hmm. do, uh, become a consultant for whatever. But the one thing you can't do is what? Bake bread and sell you it. cannot bake bread. So and what did he do? Of course, Leland started baking bread again. He didn't even try to hide it. He just yeah. he just went for it. How did and we know that was going to happen? You just it's like if I it's like with little kids. Whatever you do, don't come over here and touch this. They, they just can't help yep. them. They're like, well, touch this. That's, that, that's the first thing they do. Th this one, yeah, that one. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, don't do that. It's exactly what happened. He started he started baking bread again, and lo and behold, corporate lawyers descend from New York with all sorts of cease and desist letters and breach of contract filings and several years of legal wrangling later, Leland thinks he's got this thing beat because of language buried in an operating agreement for an LLC. Here's what happened. He sells his company to Bimbo Bakeries. They say, we'll pay you, I think it was $2 million. He says, great. They pay his LLC. Now in his LLC, he owns a portion of it. His wife owns a portion of it. And each of his kids own a portion of it. And he starts baking bread again, not thinking, you know, that he's going to he's going to peak the attention of bimbo bakeries. But he does, of course, as we've said. And so 
when he starts making money in his LLC again, he's like, oh no, I can't take this money because if I do, it'll be a breach of the contract. First of all, no, you've already breached the contract, pal. <laughs> but second of all, as you can probably tell, this didn't work because mm-hmm. in the LLC operating agreement, there was language that said that all distributions from the company had to be pro rata, meaning that any money coming out of that company had to come out in equal proportions based on an individual owner's ownership interest. Meaning Leland owned 50%, Leland's wife owns 50%, $100 comes out, Leland gets $50, she gets $50. Mm-hmm. Leland thought that wasn't the case. And so he took a whole bunch of money and gave it to his wife, thinking, if I give it to my wife, that's not me. My wife wasn't part of this non-compete, so she'll be free and clear. They won't be able to, to prove damages and I won't be liable. Let's just distribute it all to her. It, mm-hmm. It's not me. Don't look over here. It's not me. It's, it was really her. And yeah, which is still silly because they're their husband and wife. But, you know, yes. but let's let's just put aside the the silly arguments and the, the fact mm-hmm. that somebody's acting in bad faith. Mm-hmm. What did the court do to that? Uh, as soon mm-hmm. as the attorneys pointed this out to the court, the court said, well, you didn't getting back coming full circle to compliance. You didn't comply. Mm-hmm. Any distributions that were supposed to come out of this entity were supposed to go to the owners of the entity pro rata. You're an owner of the entity. You didn't get your pro rata piece of these distributions. Therefore, we are going to claw back. Here's that word again. Claw back the, the distributions, redistribute them as they should have been distributed. Therefore, you have damages that are proved for Bimbo Bakeries and they won. So the court has enjoined Leland from baking any more bread which of course he's absolutely going to violate. I get it five years unless he dies first. And um, yeah, it's it's just going to happen. But that's where we are right now. So compliance. So, tried comply. to hide, so he tried to, be, to hide behind an LLC in some legal mm-hmm. language to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this falls into the category that if you act too cute, that there's a good chance and you don't respect your entity, the court won't respect it. So like if, if you're playing around with things, they'll find a reason to hang you by your toes. In this case, they were probably doing the assuming arguendo that whatever argument you made, Leland, is, has any you know has any validity. Here's what would happen anyway. So we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna we're we're just gonna ignore this whole thing and you're responsible. So we don't even have to get to the substance because mm-hmm. even if everything you said was true and you were just the distributions were just going to your wife and even it doesn't matter because your agreement doesn't say that. What you did is you gave them the weapon with which to dispose of you with. It's like, yeah, don't do that. And uh, courts, you know, how about how about honor the agreements you sign? I don't know. Maybe that's mm-hmm. out of vogue, but you know, there's some of us that actually it's, think word is worth something. Well, yeah, and it's it's not. It really wasn't that hard. I mean, he got his payday. All he had to do was wait. He didn't even have that much longer to wait, and he could have started baking again. It wouldn't have been a problem. But we just, could have been baking. He just can't sell it. He just can't sell it. Yeah. yeah. But the whole thing's ridiculous. The whole thing with that case is ridiculous. Was he hard? You know, maybe he was hard up for money or something. He didn't know any other ways to make money, or was he just being a? Was he just being conniving? Kind of. I think he was just being conniving and quite honestly greedy. In my reading of the case, he had a bunch of real estate holdings that he tried to get involved with and some other things. And it, maybe it didn't go the way exactly he wanted it to, but they paid him a lot of money, multi, multiple millions of dollars for his brand. It's a, yep. they do quite well. 
So it was his grandma's in the first place, right? I'm, I don't know that. Yeah, so, exactly. It wasn't even bread. I don't know. All right. So, so that's the compliance side. Uh, number four, I think you had some, it's about education. What is that one? So education is important for lots of things, right? You have, you have the old saying that knowledge is power. As I was thinking about stories and anecdotes, ways that this has been implemented appropriately and inappropriately maybe, but legally nonetheless, the thing that stood out to me was OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson got into some trouble and was acquitted in the criminal trial against him for the murders of uh, his ex-wife and Ron Goldman, her friend. Okay, putting that aside, just not even speaking about that, but just talking about the next case where the Goldman family brought a civil suit for wrongful death against OJ Simpson. He was potentially on the hook for a lot of money to this family and they won the case. So he still has like a, I think uh, the base judgment was $33 million against him. But as Clint talks about, and as is, as should be known more broadly, 10% interest on those judgments. So every year you don't pay out, it compounds 10%. So it's, it's ballooned since then. But the thing that, that is interesting is that I don't think OJ Simpson knew this. I think he had people that were working and helping him that did know this. He was informed as to how he could appropriately put his assets in a place where they wouldn't be able to be targeted by the Goldman family and taken away from him, at least initially. One of the first things he did, he moved to Florida. Why Florida? I mentioned earlier the homestead exemption. There are two kinds, the tax and the liability or creditor protections. Florida is one of a few states that has unlimited caps for your homestead value, meaning that except for voluntary liens like mortgages, any creditors that have a a judgment against you can't take your house away if that's your primary residence in Florida. He moved there. Maybe not for that reason, probably for that reason. Doesn't change the fact that they can't, like, so they couldn't touch his house, any of the the equity in his house. And I just want to Stop you just for a second, because people get tripped up on the criminal versus civil liability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. be found criminally not guilty because the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And so we we all, if you were alive during that time, you saw this trial going on for weeks and weeks. And you had all these, you know, the dream team and if the glove doesn't fit. You must acquit and all that stuff. That's the criminal side. Mm-hmm. Goldman's right. beat a penalty. That was just on the wrongful death for the estate of Ron Goldman, which was for his beneficiaries his mm-hmm. parents, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they, so they get this massive civil judgment. Yeah. It was 30 million plus against, mm-hmm. against OJ, but OJ, I mean, it wasn't just his house. Was it? He had some other assets they couldn't touch as well. Right. Right. So you have the knowledge aspect of, Oh, if I move to Florida before this judgment has been entered, they can't take my house. Great. That's good. But that wasn't his only asset. As most people know or knew, because I I wasn't aware of this when it happened, despite being alive then, but have learned since, he was a very impressive football player, played in the NFL for the Bills and then for the 49ers. So he had an NFL pension. You would think, oh, they could levy against that pension. No, a lot of retirement accounts and pensions, particularly pensions that have been established by these uh, collective bargaining agreement agencies and organizations are explicitly off limits from creditors for these people that are involved in the pensions. It's not just NFL pensions or professional athletes either. Minors, Teamsters, a lot of the mm-hmm. Hollywood actors, SAG, SAG-AFTRA, One Union, those people, they have pension plans just like 
We have retirement accounts at our employer's offices or through our employers. The Goldman's can't get that either. Not only can you not go into the plan, but you can't touch the distributions from the plan. So you could live out your days on a golf course in Florida, Mm -hmm. unless you're the juice, in which case then you'll be compelled to come and commit crimes in Nevada and get and get incarcerated. I think he had a life sentence at one point. <laughs> I just remember this, that there was supplemental proceedings and mm-hmm. they couldn't find his Heisman trophy or some of his memorabilia to sell because the Goldman's were trying to levy on it. And then it made a cameo appearance in a video down at the mm-hmm. palace station when he was holding people up and just silliness where you're like, this is what people do during lawsuits is they lie, cheat and steal sometimes. And justice caught up with the Jews. He's still mm-hmm. out here, by the way. Like I was right. I was say, my wife and I saw him over at the Vintner Grill in Summerlin. He lives maybe five minutes away from us here, goes to the sports clips. I, like, I know some of the people that interact with him and it's, it's always interesting to get their take on it. But my wife is from Columbia. And so I'm trying to explain mm-hmm. to her OJ Simpson and the whole thing in the United States. And she's just looking at me like, you guys are, this was a thing and i'm like yeah it was like a really big thing i mean it's racial Mm -hmm. tensions in the united states and she's like well the guy killed his wife but it's beside the point you know allegedly allegedly yeah right so uh yeah the dna evidence always says but he was he was acquitted he was acquitted he was acquitted right Mm -hmm. we have to say that but but he was civilly responsible for the deaths or at least uh, Ron Goldman, because I, I, right. I don't know if Nicole uh, Nicole Brown, if, if her family brought an action or not. I'm not certain if they did. Yeah, I don't. That whole thing's weird. But that's that's the best example I could find of education. OJ Simpson had people working with him that said, hey, look, you have these assets that aren't touchable. Knowing that allowed him to implement a strategy that allowed him and allows him to live what I would say is relatively comfortably, despite legal issues and just like leland the only thing you're not allowed to do is bake bread and Mm -hmm. sell it they said to oj the only thing you're not allowed to do is commit crimes across state lines (laughs) you know please don't commit felonies and you'll be fine and he just couldn't resist himself and he just he just had to do it just just, he was was compelled to do the felonies that's right some people um All right, the last one. We have we have we have one more way that people can manage to mess up their asset protection plan. The last one is both understandable and lamentable, and still kind of like, come on, guys. This is why you this is why you get people like us. The last one is just tax. And there are so many ways you could do this wrong. So many ways. The important thing to note is, and this this all circles back to objectives. If you know, for example, that you're getting into a business and you're going to buy a property and you're going to you're going to rehabilitate it, you're going to flip it. That is a different structure than I'm going to buy this property, I'm going to rehabilitate it, I'm going to rent it out and hold it long term. We have different structures for that, very different tax implications involved in that. And if you do the buy it long term buy and hold strategy with a property you know you're going to flip, you're going to screw it up. The main difference here is the difference between corporation taxation that we would use for a flip type property situation and a disregarded entity situation, which we generally use for long-term buy and holds. In fact, I think mm-hmm. I can think of one exception to that that we're not going to talk about today. But yeah, so an example of how somebody got this wrong. Now, we're going to take the heat off of the real estate people for a little bit because this is a different example. 
but there's a tax all, case. They were all getting nervous, Josh, and they were all getting worried. Like, oh, you're going to talk about some some messed up real estate tax, but you're not, are you? You're going to go I'm, into something I'm not. completely different. What is it? Com- completely different. So tax case out of Michigan. A gentleman is getting into the business of reselling scalping tickets. And wow. so he, yeah. So your friends with scalpers. That's right. We've all seen them. Buy low, sell high. That's right. That's right. And they are very good at that. That's what they live by. They they drive me crazy here in Vegas. They they like to buy up all of our tickets and then sell them at obscene markups. And it really is obscene. It's very true. So this gentleman starts a business and he starts an LLC. It's a sole proprietorship. That's important. So he buys tickets, goes out to the event, resells the tickets, and everything's going good. Now, he made another mistake. He made two mistakes. The first is he was doing his own taxes. He was preparing and filing his own taxes. Mm -hmm. And that may work for some people. It didn't work for this guy. And whenever you start getting business taxes involved, that's when you got to start looking at hiring somebody else to help you out. It's going to be easier for you. It's an expense. It's a tax deductible expense. It's a tax deductible business expense, but it's something you're going to want to look for. Not only that, his son, I don't know what his son was thinking, But his son's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to help out my dad. I'm going to get online. I'm going to incorporate the business. He incorporates the business and probably not knowing what he was doing, elects to have the business taxed as a C-corporation. Now, if you're watching this, you probably know C-corporation taxation and sole proprietorship taxation, two extraordinarily different beasts. I mean, Toby talks about this all the time. I learn most of what I know from Toby, so I don't have to tell him, but I'm telling you, very different. Dad continues filing taxes like it's a sole proprietorship, meaning all of the money that comes into the entity comes into his bank account, and then tax deductible expenses are made, and then he keeps the profits. For a sole proprietorship, perfect. It's exactly what he should have been doing. There are some differences that we could have, we could quibble with, but that's okay for a sole proprietorship. Mm-hmm. For a C corporation, that is absolutely not okay. It needs its own bank account, needs its own tax structure, needs to be funded a specific way. Everything needs to be different. He didn't do it. Keeps filing his taxes himself. Keeps doing everything that he's been doing. Dad passes away. And family goes to file taxes the next year. And they get in hot water with the IRS because the IRS comes back and says, we've got some real big discrepancies here between what was happening before and what's happening now. Explain these. And they try their best to go back and recreate records and do all this, that, and the other. And it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. And they get hit with, for the IRS, a very modest tax bill. $15,000, which grand scheme of things, not a ton of money, still going to hurt most families. It's going to, it would decimate my family, but grand scheme of things, it's not a Bernie Madoff situation or, um, you know, like an Enron type situation where the IRS, the SEC, everybody's getting involved and wanting a piece of these people. But it all could have been avoided if when the dad got the notification from the state of Michigan and from the IRS that this was a C corporation, he went back and started unwinding things, saying, no, 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 we didn't want to do this. This was done inadvertently. So as unglamorous as it is, and as difficult as it can be, you got to pay attention to the paperwork. You got to pay attention to the paperwork. You got to look at what's coming through. You got to really sit down and see what's happening. And as long as you do that and, and are diligent about doing it, you won't find yourself in these situations. I would also put this one in the category of if you ignore the fact that you need sound advice, like these are things that are complicated. This would be on the same level as, hey, I had a toothache, so I, I I decided to do my own filling. 
and then I infected the tooth and it causes me to have a major health issue in my face mm-hmm. and it caused me to have to go through some surgeries and other. Don't do that. Don't operate on yourself. Don't do dental surgery on yourself. Don't do legal stuff on yourself. No. Don't do tax stuff on yourself because it's complex. There's some real basic stuff. And you, if you just ignore it, you're just going to pay a lot more in tax. Like that's the ramification. But if you start doing things that are complicated on your own without the guidance of somebody who knows what they're doing, expect really bad results. In fact, when I whenever I hear somebody went online and did something, I always I clerked for a judge and she said uh, it's the interpretation of the presentation. Right. Whatever her opinion is going to be is the interpretation of the presentation. So you always think of the presentation when I present something like if I'm presenting myself and I went and I did an online deal. Like let's say I'm trying to raise money from a bank or from an angel investor or Mm -hmm. doing something with partners. And I show that, Hey, I went online and grabbed something for, for cheap. What is my presentation and and what's the interpretation? The interpretation is always going to be, you're not a very serious person. You're not really a business. And these folks do this over and over and over again. And the ramification in the court is, yeah, whether it be the IRS, the courtroom, or in the boardroom, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the same result, which is you're not serious. This is not serious. You didn't do this correct. Tax can just be so nasty. So I imagine they double tax the heck out of them, treated all their profit as though it was taxed at the corp. And then, you know, and it, which isn't fatal in itself, but when you're commingling monies and you didn't pay those, the penalties and interest can be pretty monumental. Yeah, it all stacks and it's not, it's not exclusive. The federal government doesn't mess around. If they're going to bring a case like this and they're going to win it, they're going to make you pay through the nose. And they did. And so the the moral of that story is what you don't know can and will beat the heck out of you, especially in tax and asset protection world. In fact, I think that's a reoccurring theme that we're seeing. All of your scenarios were things that could have been avoided. The only one that I would say is kind of the anomaly is, is, is the OJ uh, story because it did work and it didn't implode on him until he went off and did some intentional acts and caused himself some issues. But, but he, you know, it, there was, there were some things that you could do correctly and it mm-hmm. protected it and everybody else, they blew themselves up because of something they didn't know. And in all of those situations that you gave, if they had had good counsel, they would have avoided the the, the nasty downfall. Absolutely. I, I think that's a reoccurring theme. So, uh, hey, great, interesting stories. Thanks for sharing the the five ways people mess up their asset protection plans. If somebody needs to get a hold of you, Josh, if they watch this and they say, I really like that Josh guy, how do they get a hold of you? You get a hold of me um, by contacting Anderson Advisors. The main number is a good place to start. It's 800-706-4741. And there's my email address, and I'm happy to answer questions if you have them. It's jrobertson at andersonadvisors.com. Perfect. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your time with us. And uh, hopefully you got something out of this, guys. Share it with folks that you believe would uh, benefit from it. If you want to get a hold of old Josh, or you can always leave comments down below if this is on YouTube uh, or on our podcast channel, or you could send an email in. So thanks again, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.